0: Hey everybody, this is Martin, and you're listening to Healing Together, a podcast that connects you to me and some of my amazing friends, where we hope that our stories will bring you comfort, inspiration and healing. I want to give you a behind-the-scenes view of people's lives, both the ordinary and extraordinary. And I think that you will realise that most often moving through struggle relies on finding a way to shine a light on some of the darkest corners of your heart. And through this, we can build strength and therefore remain open, kind and grateful. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 13 of the Healing Together podcast, number 13, lucky for some. And I um, wanted to let you know that I'm going to be doing a feedback episode in the next week or two. I've received quite a lot of feedback from the Bethany, Claire and Sin podcasts, as well as the solo episodes that I did on my own. So I thought I would put all of that together in um, a separate episode. Um, But thank you, as always, for the Um, the, the significant amount of feedback that I receive and it's a real testament to the therapeutic nature of this podcast that that is my intention that it helps people and it's really wonderful to hear of all of the different ways in which that is indeed happening and one such person who has given me a lot of great feedback following her listening to the podcast is the lovely Ruth who we have with us today. And I'm going to hand you over to Ruth in a moment to introduce herself, because I always think that's the best way for people to do so. But first of all, I wanted to let you know that this week um, is actually the last week of Domestic Abuse Awareness Month, which Ruth made me aware of um, when we were discussing her coming on the podcast. And that's a really great time for us to be discussing one of the themes of today's show, And that is indeed domestic abuse, um, what that looked like for Ruth. And she's um, very bravely and kindly going to share some of her experiences around domestic abuse and how that led to some physical manifestations of the trauma that she went through. And uh, the two particular disorders we're going to discuss is endometriosis and PMDD, premenstrual dys dysphoric disorder. Thanks. (laughs) And uh, then we will talk also about Ruth's healing through these really difficult experiences in her life and become the shining light that she is as she sits here in our office with this amazing jumper on saying, Stay lit. And you definitely do. You light up the world. And I'm so pleased to have you here today. And So, Ruth, how are you feeling right now?
1: Hi, Martin. Um, I'm feeling okay, thank you. Um, I just need to have a little, just clean my throat a second. Yeah, of course,
0: <clears throat> of course. I do it frequently. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm feeling really good. Um, obviously, your home's in Shap where yeah, we're doing yeah. our podcast. Yeah. And I've only began to be more comfortable with driving on motorways in the last... Um, six months, maybe not even that. Uh-huh. So today's journey, what, I felt really, really brave getting here on my own. Um, we just using a little bit of um Google Maps.
0: Well, that's you know that's testament to why you are so lit up because you put the work in. You know, you show up for yourself and you go towards those edges and continually move past them and you know the little i know of your whole life and we're going to find out more shortly Mm -hmm. um shows me that that you know you definitely do shine a light on the darker corners of your world and therefore you do the same with everybody else so um i'm delighted that you have you know pushed the edges of your comfort with the driving so that you could come here and i could share this lovely experience with you And so before we get going, I thought we'd just take a few breaths just to help settle us both in as well as the listener. And we're going to do a really simple Brox breathing practice today. So anybody who's going to practice, if you're driving or operating any machinery, then I would leave this maybe until later on. But for anybody that is going to practice with us, then sitting yourself up nice and tall or even have a lie down if that feels better for you. And closing your eyes or softening the gaze. And I'd like you to visualize a box in front of you with equal sides. And we're going to go up the left-hand side on the inhale for a count of four. We're gonna hold the breath for a count of four as we go across the top left to right. We're gonna exhale as we go down from the top right-hand side to the bottom right-hand corner and then we'll hold the breath to complete the box going along the bottom from right to left. So starting at the bottom left-hand corner, let's take a breath in and out to prepare. Inhaling and exhale, let it go. Taking a breath in as we go up the side of the box. Four, three, two, one. Holding the breath as we go across the top four three two one exhaling going down the other side four three two one and we're holding the breath to complete the box four three two one starting again inhaling four holding the breath for four exhaling for four Holding at the bottom for four. One more round. Inhaling four. Holding for four. Exhaling for four. And holding for four. Releasing the visualisation of the box. Let's take a nice fresh breath in. Opening the eyes. And let it go. Are <laughs> you yawning there Ruth? There we go. Well, you must be relaxed if you're yawning. Yeah, I
1: must be, yeah. I am. I am relaxed. It's a, it's a lovely house.
0: Oh, well, listen. Tell us a bit more about you and your story.
1: Um. All oh, right. Well, what can I... What can I say? Um, my name's Ruth Hassan. That's my married name. Uh, my maiden name is Harper, H-A-R-P-E-R. I'm um, 52 in a few weeks' time. And I am a yoga teacher. Um, I teach something called Core Strength Vinyasa. Which was created by a lady called Sadie Nardini and I was trained by her master trainer, one of her master trainers, Anya Hawkes and I'm a mother to a 24 year old son and I'm married to Alan and I am also a survivor of domestic abuse. Domestic violence, and I'm here to kind of tell my story.
0: Okay, so thank you for that lovely introduction. And you mentioned there about the domestic abuse, the domestic violence. Would it be okay if you went back to a time that sets up when that happened for you? Maybe I know you mentioned it was in your late teens so um how did all this begin Ruth?
1: Yeah absolutely um okay i was <clears throat> i was out one night with me um with, with a good friend of mine um we're, we're still in touch now and she was going out with a, a guy and he had this mate uh, He was really handsome looking really um had lovely clothes on and I've seen him, our eyes locked, and I was 17. Um, i would never really had many boyfriends before then. And we started to, it, it was Boxing Night, 1987. it's quite a long time ago. And, um, yeah, we went to... We were in a pub, and he asked me if I wanted a drink. So he got me a drink, and we, we were talking. We went outside to talk because it was really loud. We talked about all kinds of things in just a few hours. And I decided that I wanted to be his girlfriend because he was really charming, um, really handsome, had lots to talk about, um, gave me lots of eye contact. And in that few hours, he made me feel like I was the only person in the world. Uh, I just felt absolutely amazing because he was lavishing me with lots of lovely expensive presents, always holding my hand um, and making me feel like I was the only person in the world. Made me feel loved, special, important. And he made me feel really grown up, which when you're 17 is really important to Mm -hmm. feel grown up. He didn't talk to me like I was a child. He talked to me like I was a grown woman and made me feel really special.
0: And how old was he at this time when you two met? What was the age difference?
1: Only 18 months.
0: Right. So he's quite a young lad as well then. Yeah, Yeah. he
1: was 19. Um, Yeah, he had a really, really good job at... Um, a local power plant nuclear power plant mm-hmm. uh, work in shifts so you, you earned a lot and lots of money had yeah. a brand new car right
0: so you moved in together this sounds like a fairy tale you yeah. know and so grown up finally felt like a princess you know the most special yeah. person in the world yeah. so how did things continue we know where this is going I guess so
1: yeah yeah um, um, I live in Whitehaven, and we we um, rented a flat in Whitehaven Town Centre. Before, Just before we moved in, my mum held my hands, and she said, you don't have to do this, um, but whatever you do, you can always come back. Um, I'll miss you. I'm dead proud of you. Um, look at you and I was crying, she was crying okay. and then I started to think I don't want to do it I don't want to move out I want to stay here with my mum because I'm going to miss her I'm going to miss my mum I'm going to miss my dad and my little brother even though sometimes he was annoying and my big sister had already moved out um, but anyway we moved in because I felt like it was the right thing to do we were both really excited, um, buying new furniture,
0: getting the flat furnished. It's like there's all these reasons, logical reasons to do it. And yet something yeah. even back then was speaking to you, saying, I don't want to do it.
1: Yeah, something inside me was saying, I don't want to do it. But at the same, the, the, the feeling of being really independent was overriding The feeling of not wanting to do it, yeah, yeah, and because I had all these doubts, but I was really excited. Um, but going back, I forgot about this. But going back to when we'd only been going out for about two weeks, oh no, it was in the new year. We met on Boxing Night, Uh so going into the new year, I was out with the friend who had introduced us, and. We decided we, I think we went to a party or something and then we decided to go into town into Whitehaven and we seen her boyfriend mm-hmm. and we said, Where's my my boyfriend? We'd only been going out for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um says, so Where's my boyfriend? And he said, Um he's gone home and he's absolutely raging with you. So why what have I done? You were supposed to be, meet him down here tonight. And I said, well, we went to a party and, and we're coming down now to meet you, to, to meet you all. And he says, well, he's went home in an absolute rage. Mm. So I went and, went and found a pair phone and I rang his house and his mum answered the phone. And she said, I don't know what's wrong with him. He came home in a blazing mood, screaming, shouting and crying that you weren't there, and he's locked yourself in the bedroom. So that should have been a bit of a red flag. But when I got to speak to him the next day, he said, it's because I love you so much. I'd been really excited to meet you, mm-hmm. and you weren't there. And I felt embarrassed. I felt a bit silly, and, and I thought you didn't want to see me anymore but you didn't want to be my girlfriend anymore right so that's why i went home
0: so how so did that make you feel
1: terrible and that made me feel like oh, he, he loves me so much that he, he he went home and and he was and he locked himself in the bedroom and he was crying because i wasn't there he must have loved me so much
0: so you two had met just a couple of weeks before that particular instance really the first red flag if you like And then you moved in together six months later. How did things go after you'd moved in? When did you start noticing things maybe not being okay?
1: It was going towards Christmas, my birthdays in November. Mm -hmm. And I went for a night out with my mum, my mum's friend and her daughter, and my boyfriend had said to me, um, try not to be too late. Um, I think maybe I had work the next morning or something. Mm-hmm. Try not to be too late. And I said, oh, I won't be. So I wore a lovely dress that he bought me, lovely shoes. Um, then he bought me for my birthday and feeling felt like the bee's knees. Mm-hmm. And then my mum wanted to show her friend and her daughter the- the new flat. Right. Come and see where our Ruth's living. So when when I got into the flat, he'd bought me for for my birthday. Oh, was towards Christmas. Yeah, it was towards Christmas. He'd bought me a really great big Christmas card, and it was spongy, right. and it had the world's best girlfriend on, with little pictures of teddy bears in Santa suit or something like that. And when we got into the flat, I was feeling really excited and and I couldn't wait to show them my flat. Mm -hmm. And when we got into the flat, the card was ripped up into about 50 pieces all over the floor. And my mum walked in first and she put her arm out to stop me and she said, I think you better, I need to tell you something, I think you better just slow down a little bit um, why is your card all ripped up on the floor? Was it like that when you come out? Mm-hmm. And I went, oh no, oh God, we must have been burgled. What happened? Because that was the first thing I seen. Right.
0: So not for a minute thinking it was him?
1: And no, not for a minute thinking he had ripped this card up.
0: Right.
1: And then he'd heard us coming in and he'd locked us down in the bathroom. So I was knocking on the bathroom door for him to come out and... He wouldn't come out, and, and nothing else in the flat had been damaged. So my mum was um, hammering on the door, and she said, "Get out here now, you bloody coward! Get out here now! What have you done to our Ruth's card?" And he, he came out, and he was, and he, he came out, and he was just like, "I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do it. I didn't mean to do it. Um, I just did. I was lonely and I was bored, so I just ripped up the card." Mm. And my mom was saying, "You're coming home. You're not staying here." My mom said to, to me, you. "Yeah." You're coming home. You're not staying here. I'm not leaving you here overnight with him. And she looked up at him. My mom's five foot two, and he is six foot three, going on six foot four. Right. Um, between eighteen and twenty stone. So, my mum is looking up at him and she said, if you ever lay a finger on my daughter as big as you are, I will kill you. And he just said, I'm, I didn't, I didn't. I haven't done it. I haven't done anything wrong. It wasn't my fault. I haven't done anything wrong. So, I was really, really ashamed, really embarrassed. You were. Uh... Because they'd walked into my card being ripped up. I was really excited showing them my flat. And there's my boyfriend in his dressing gown, locked his cell in the bathroom. I wouldn't come out. And then when he did come out, he was surrounded by four women who were all looking up at him, wondering why the card was all ripped up. And my mum confronted him saying, if you ever lay a finger on my daughter, I'll kill you. Uh So I was, like, really embarrassed. I can't believe my mum's just said that. But but then after that, my mum's friend went in. He went into the bedroom to get changed. So my mum's friend went with him.
2: Right.
1: And he said that she said to him, please don't hit Ruth. She's only a little girl. Please don't hit her. My husband has gave me a life of hell. All these years. Please don't do that to Ruth. She's too precious. And he convinced her and convinced everybody else that it was just a one-off. He was bored. He was lonely, and he just ripped up my card.
0: It's strange, isn't it? It's like they knew. Yeah, like you know your mum and a friend it's like they saw that card ripped up as a sign of something else that seems like you had no idea that yeah. there could have been anything else so it would have felt really strange for you I imagine being stuck in between what they were insinuating and his supposed innocence and confusion and, and there you are in the middle like
1: yeah, def- yeah I was really defending him how dare you even think that and then in the end I, I I asked them to leave because this was my flat who did they think they were <coughs> yeah. um, I was a grown woman um, don't treat me like a child mm-hmm. and then they went and nowadays it would be called red flags yeah um and then after that nothing happened for a long time nothing like ripping up my cards or anything. We used to go to my mum's, my mum and dad's for our Sunday lunch. My mum never ever really liked him. She knew that she there was some. She used to say, "There's something about him that I don't like."
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But if you're happy, I'm happy. You know, you can come home whenever you want.
2: Okay.
0: So kind of that was the first instance of anything feeling slightly off and even then it wasn't really something that was a red flag to you necessarily so how did things then start to move in a different direction to your being happy and lovely life lovely boyfriend when did you next start to get a sense of something going wrong
1: um not for a long time but in between the times of the card been ripped and he started to tell me about how unhappy he was at home when he was younger. Right. Um he told me lots of little stories and I felt really sorry for him. Um his mum tried for yeah his mum and dad had tried for years and years to have him and they couldn't have any children. Right. She thought she couldn't have any more children. Okay. And then she had him and she wrapped him up in cotton wool. She wouldn't let him go anywhere. She always needed to know where he was. Um, He used to say they had everything, but they never used to have any food in the cupboards because she had to have the best of everything. Um, The best furniture, the best curtains, the best clothes, the best everything. She had to have the best of everything. But there wasn't really m- much left for him. Oh, um, wow. And he had a younger brother as well. So whilst he was telling me this stuff, he used to say to me, tell me things about you. Tell me anything about you. And and so I did. When I met, I'd had a couple of boyfriends that I'd, I'd had for maybe a week, two weeks, a month. And... He wanted to know the intimate details of my relationship with these um, these lads. Mm-hmm. So I told him, um, I, wasn't a, I wasn't a virgin when I met him, uh-huh. but he was right. He'd never had a girlfriend before. He was always really self-conscious and he used to tell me all the time that I was the only person that seen past um, seen past him mm. and, and that's why he really loved me.
0: You saw who he really was.
1: He saw who, I saw who he really was, yeah. and I loved him for who he
0: was. Yeah. He sounds really vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.: And there is this tendency to to kick off, to have some kind of um, outburst, let's say, whether it's you know, storming off home raging or ripping up a card. And, yeah, these are red flags, I suppose, if you're looking out for them. Um, yeah, absolutely. So I'm wondering when, later on in the relationship, you did start to notice the red flags, you know, when you started going, ah, okay, something might not be right here.
1: Okay. We um, we decided to buy a house um, about five miles away from the flat. By this time, I was um, 19. Uh-huh. We had Nothing really major had happened between us. Um, when we lived in the flat, it was all nice. It was lovely. He used to phone me when he was on back shift. He used to phone me about four times a night on his back shift. Okay. Um, and a couple of times, I wasn't in. I might have gone to my mum's straight after work. Mm-hmm. And then when he would ring, he would say, where were you? I needed to talk to you. Um, I miss, I'm miss, i missing you. I'm at work. Um, so I started not going out anywhere. Mm-hmm. I used to get home from work when he was on back shift and stay in the house all the time in case he rang and he couldn't get in touch with me, in case I'd been knocked over by a car or in case I'd... Um, fallen and hurt myself and I was injured these were the reasons he used to give me for why he needed to know where I was and I seen that as as love I seen that as him being so concerned that he really loved me
0: interesting isn't it because I, I can totally see why you would feel that and I you know I've been in a situation similar myself so I, I do get it and yet as I sit here today and I'm sure as you do and maybe some of the listeners might be thinking well why couldn't he cope with that you know surely you're mm-hmm. not you know always at risk of being knocked over by a bus or whatever so <laughs> maybe sometimes he won't be able to get hold of you and that should be okay but yeah. obviously that it was all just no. He cares about me. He wants me to be safe. I better, I better help him. Yeah, I better help that...
1: him not to, yeah. to put his mind at ease yeah. that I am here, and, um, I haven't been run over. I'm not dead. Um, I am in the flat, so I'll just sit and wait here. If because if you ring and you get upset, you might do your job wrong, mm. and then mm. we you know, everything would have escalated from there.
0: So the control started to come in.
1: Yeah, but yeah. I didn't see it as no. control. I seen it as, as love.
0: Okay, so how did things progress from there? If if are you okay to keep going? Yeah. 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 How did things start to really get into you knowing this wasn't okay? Okay.
1: Um I was nineteen we'd bought our own house and again this was a bit of a status symbol. Being like, oh wow, I've got I've got a mortgage, I'm 19. I worked in a factory at the time. Mm-hmm. So when we um, bought the house, I didn't see any of this as red flags at the time. But he used to earn loads of money and I was on a fraction of what he was earning. Okay. So all our money went into one account, into a joint account. He used to give me £20 a week. I think I was maybe earning £50 a week, Uh something like that. So he used to give me £20 a week. Uh, At the time, I used to smoke. So I used to go to the shop and buy my bags for the week. Uh And then I didn't really have that much money left. Um, And whenever I needed any money for anything else, I had had to ask him. Right, okay. Well, what have you spent your money on? Um. Oh well. Uh, I I don't know. Um. Well, lately, yeah, I also reluctantly taken a fiver out of his wallet and given it to me. I didn't see these as red flags, but I used to start to feel like it was pocket money.
0: Yeah, it's, I was going to say it sounds a bit like how a parent might talk to a child. You know. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, so whilst I was working at the place I used to work, um had longish hair and on a Friday afternoon I went and got it all cut off. It was really, really short. And I had it bleached. Can you remember Yaz? Yes. Yeah, My yeah. only way up. Yeah. It was like that. Okay. I used to put it in little spikes. <laughs> I was I was dead trendy. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were going out that night with our friends again and I bought myself a lovely Figure hugging dress. Um, I don't know whether you've seen Whitney Houston's "I Wanna Dance with Somebody" video. All oh, right,
0: okay. She yeah. has a
1: really, really yeah. figure hugging dress. Mm-hmm. I got one of those in black. And as we were walking from, we were out with our friends, and we we're seeing lots of people, and they were saying, "You look, you look lovely. You you suit your hair really short. Mm-hmm. Um, isn't isn't she lovely?" And my boyfriend would say Yeah, she is. And like hugging me even tight, like really tight, mm-hmm. and and she's all mine, aren't you all mine? And I'd be like, yeah. So, we were walking from one pub to the next pub, and I seen two lads that my brother used to go to school with. And as they were walking towards me, and we were walking towards them, one of them said as they were passing, "I'd fuck her." And I was like, what did he just say? And he he was holding my hand at the time. Mm -hmm. And he held my hand really, really tight. And he said, he's just said he's fucked you. I said, he didn't. He said he would fuck me. (sighs) He didn't. He said he's fucked you. And I was like, he didn't. He said he would fuck me. But it doesn't matter because I'm with you. I love you. And I don't want to be with anyone else. And he had of my hand really, really tight. And we were looking forward to going to the nightclub. Um, and he said, we're going home. So he like had holding my hand really, really tight. Mm-hmm. And he was walking me really fast. I had high heels on. And I could hardly keep up, like almost dragging me. But you
0: were so little compared to him. Yeah, I was yeah. only tiny. Yeah.
1: Seven stone. He was like 19 stone. Six foot three, six foot four. And we got into the taxi and and he said, I can't believe this. I can't believe this. My girlfriend, I absolutely adore you. And you go around and you fucked people. When did you fuck him? And I was going, I
2: didn't, I didn't, I didn't.
1: Please believe me, I didn't. And we we were passing near where my mum and dad lived. And I screamed to the taxi driver, let me out stop and he kept saying drive on drive on i'm paying you i'm paying your wages drive on drive on so we drove on and we got to the house um we got in and at the time i was absolutely shitting myself because i didn't know what to expect we got in i can remember sitting down i still had my high heels on and my little dress and I was sat at the end of the sofa, trying to reason with him. And he was saying, so when have you gone behind my back and fucked him? Have you been doing it in our bed? Was it when we lived in town? You've been doing it behind my back all this time, you dirty fucking little whore. And then he just started to smack me around my head. Oh. Um, punching me in the sides of my legs. I was, like, trying to protect myself, and he was punching my arms. Um, And I was, like, screaming for him to stop. I was screaming, I haven't done anything wrong. I haven't done anything wrong. Book off. Leave me alone. Please leave me alone. And then he went out the room more entirely. So I went to the phone. It was when phones plugged into the wall Uh to ring my mum. Um, and he come through and pulled the phone out the wall And he said you're not going anywhere You're not going anywhere You're fucking staying there You were nothing but a dirty little who God Ruth. Who the fuck do you think you are And who have you been fucking behind my back Was there anyone else um, So I was screaming at him I haven't done anything, I haven't done anything. Please believe me, I love you. I would never ever do that. Well, you'd done it before we met. You were nothing but a whore when I met you and I've dragged you off the street, put clothes on your back, give you a roof over your head. You had nothing when I met you and look what I've given you.
0: God, from what you had known to that, Mm-hmm. In one night, in one night, yeah. God, it sounds horrific, and I'm so sorry that you went through that. Well, I did,
1: and it was. And there's no need to apologise. It's, it's, it. You know, it happened. Um. So I can remember being up all night, and him interrogating me. Who else have you been with? Who else have you fucked behind my back? Who else have you done? <coughs> it? Um and it just
0: I just never stopped. It just continued. It after, just never man.
1: stopped. So it was oh God, all night. Ordeal. He locked the front door and the back door. He put the both key both sets of keys in his pockets. He wouldn't let me out. Trapped. Um and I just I can remember crying that hard that i thought my chest was on fire and i can still i can still remember that feeling now of like feeling like my chest was on fire because i was crying that much um and then something inside him snapped and he stopped he just stopped and he crouched down on the floor and curled up in a ball and broke his heart i'm sorry I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. What have I done? What have I done to you? Oh, look at you. Look at you. Oh, I can't believe it. So he came over and he started to lick the tears off my face and, and kiss me all over my head and all the places that it hit. hit. Um, and then he, he crouched down and he said, that was your fault. I'd only done that because you drove me to do it. If you hadn't have went and fucked that man. And I was like, oh God, but I didn't. I didn't. I didn't do it. I didn't do anything. I haven't done anything wrong. And But he convinced himself that I had. And then he cried and cried and cried that much that he was thrown up. Um, he was punching himself in the head. He was slapping his own face. God. And I was like, I'm sorry I made you do it. I'm sorry I made you hit me. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, 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 I promise I haven't done anything wrong. And I promise I'll never put you in that situation again. I promise. Please believe me. Um. And by this time, we got home about 11 o'clock. And by this time, it was about 4 o'clock in the morning. Mm. It was just constant. It was just never-ending. I still had my little dress on and my shoes and makeup all over my face. My lovely hair was all messed up. And then he was like, if you hadn't have done that, I wouldn't have done that to you. That's your fault. That is your fault. And I said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I made you feel like that to make you get to rock bottom, to do that to me. I'm so sorry. It won't happen again. It won't happen again. So I So it, I, it was like a rule reversal. Uh-huh. I was begging him to forgive me for making him explode like that.
0: And did you believe at that point it was your fault? Oh,
1: yeah, I totally believe right, that it I got, was my I fault. Mean, this
0: is unbelievable, the power of what was going on in that room that night to switch that responsibility from him to you yeah it's it just shows the power of all of those times before that night before the physical violence how easy it was for you to switch into believing that him being upset was your fault yeah because you've been doing it from years before a couple of years before
1: yeah and i did believe it and and i can remember um that night um absolutely exhausted. He had work in the morning. So he said, We're gonna have to go to bed because I need to get up in the morning. I oh, look I'm so sorry. I'll never, ever, ever raise my hand to you ever again. But you've got to promise me you won't um give me a reason to. And I was like I promise, I promise, I promise I won't. And I felt so sorry for him. I felt so guilty. Um then I can remember him getting up in the morning and gone to work. And that time, I should have, when I look back, got, got me things together, found 10 pence, went to the phone box and rang my mum. That's what I should have done. Mm-hmm. But I was that exhausted. My head had bumps all over it. Oh, yeah. my, my hands were all sore. I didn't have any bruises on my face. I just had bruises down the sides of my legs. My head was covered in bumps. Um. I got went and went and got a drink of water. Went to the toilet, and then I went back to bed. And he came in the bedroom, and I said, "Did you have you forgot something?" And he says, "No, I've been to work. He'd been to work, or for like seven hours or whatever, and came back. <coughs> and I was like exhausted. Um. Slept. And I'd slept the the whole time that right. he was out. And I can remember coming to and like like ooh but when he came in he had a big bunch of flowers I got you these I'm really yeah. sorry and and, I, and then I was like what are you sorry for what you? and then I remembered what had happened
0: ah oh, okay as the you were kind of half asleep and, yeah, yeah the
1: realisation of what had happened I was exhausted I can still remember that wretched feeling that I had of i
0: have never, ever felt anything
1: like that before in my life.
0: And it sounds like it's something that's still in your body, in your being. You've said a couple of times that I can still feel it.
1: Yeah, I can still feel, and I can still, I can still feel the physical um, pain
0: mm-hmm. of it. So how did things continue Ruth? I know we said that we were going to go on to talking about how this did manifest in your body with these, you know, reproductive disorders, but I'm just wondering as the relationship, I mean this I guess wasn't the first and only time. No, it wasn't the only time. So how did the relationship continue from then on? What's kind of the story of the rest of the relationship?
1: Um well the rest of the relationship was um, that was the first time he'd raised a hand to me. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I maybe about six months after that, I never, ever forgot that night, but I thought it was all my fault. So I was really guilty, guilt ridden about that night right. because ha- I'd made him do it. Okay. So I never, ever mentioned it again. Um he didn't want to talk about it, and then our intimate relationship um he was always quite sweet, quite nice um quite ex- experienced even though he'd never had a girlfriend before okay. but it started to become really, really painful okay. to have intercourse with him um to the point of me like i can't it's it it hurts it really does hurt. And then he would start saying, so I'm not good enough now, am I? But I was
0: like, I, I can't help it if it hurts. Is it like you, I I might be pushing ahead here, but it's almost like your body started rejecting him. Yeah. That's from that day onwards, you know, and yeah. maybe his approach to your intimate um, sexual relationship was different maybe, but there was something that seemed to change in you.
1: Yeah, there was something, and I've never really thought about that till you've just said it was maybe my body saying, Get that out of me, get the fuck off,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and being and shutting down.
0: How could you feel safe with him, even if you were telling yourself you were? How uh, uh, Your your body would know different to have gone through such a shocking episode. Like, yeah. I, can, I can see why it would. I don't know, just tense up. I mean, yeah. the opposite of what you need, right? To have a fulfilling, you know, yeah. sexual intercourse. Like, yeah,
1: yeah, everything just seemed to clamp, clamp up, and and I didn't enjoy it at all. I went to the doctor, and I said it's really painful. She said, "Well, because you're so young, you just need to relax. Why don't you go home, have a glass of wine, and a paracetamol, and that might put you in the mood." So sex became more and more painful and I became more and more, I don't want you near me. Mm-hmm. And then he started to get really, really abusive. Not only um physically, but verbally, emotionally, mentally. He... Um... Every time I refused him, he would, my hair had grow by this point. Um, in between this time, he used to tell me that all my friends were slappers and that he didn't want them in the house. And when my friends just unexpectedly landed, he would go out and make them feel really, he would sit on the step, feel, they used to make them feel really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. If my family used to come round, he used to make them feel really uncomfortable. My mum knew all the time, but she needed me to say, he's hitting me. Yeah. Um, she knew all the time, and she used to say, if he's hitting you, I'll kill him. I don't care how big he is, I'll kill him.
0: So she was leaving the door open, actually from the day that you left, to say you can come and tell me if you need to. And yes. like you say, you had an opportunity that morning after that fateful night, and it was just not on your radar to tell her.
2: No,
1: yeah. just, because um, as he, oh, I forgot where I was now. Um,
0: so he was starting to control the people around you, did. I guess, with his behaviour, and he'd already you know, been physically, mentally, emotionally abusive.
1: Yes. Um. Yeah, when when I started when it when when sex started to become really painful, um, and I used to refuse him, he used to tell me that um I was the only one he sorry he was the only one that would ever wanna do it with me because I was nothing but a dirty little hooah just like your friends. Um, what you know when we walked up the harbour? And you convinced me that you didn't... That you hadn't fucked that lad. And you had, hadn't you? Hadn't you? And I used to say, no. Or I used to think, oh, fucking hell. It's all starting again. Yeah. So he would take me into the um, bathroom and make me look in the mirror. He'd be standing beside me, make me look in the mirror and say out loud to myself, I am... He used to say to me, say this after me, I am a dirty, ugly whore, say it out loud. God. So I used to say, but I'm not, you are though, but you are, say it out loud. I'm a dirty, ugly whore, okay, I'm a dirty, ugly whore, and, and what and will happen, nobody will want me but you, there, good girl. Um, on one occasion his mum come down to see us and she said to him actually no she said to both well him and me you do realise that if you two fall out nobody's going to want her nobody will want you because you're a marked woman now because you're a marked woman nobody's going to want you and no man likes a marked woman a marked woman
0: like someone who's been with somebody else or yeah somebody
1: who has already had a boyfriend and had intimate relationship Okay. nobody's going to want to nobody's going to want you no man will touch you with a pole. ball
2: what what, what, what,
0: what, what <laughs> <laughs> I'm struggling with it, it feels a bit like the dark ages but also like what um what would prompt her to say that, you know, I mean obviously only she can answer that but what do you think um, looking back, his mum
1: used to th- say that all women were dirty hooers. Every woman had it in them to be a dirty, rotten, no good hooer, apart from herself. Well,
0: interesting how she's the only one that isn't. Yeah. Yeah. God, it's like... What she was saying, he was saying, it was just like he was almost like
1: Mirroring mirroring yeah, her. Yeah. Um so on another occasion, um, I went out with my friends. And he said, Be back by midnight. I want you back by midnight. So there wasn't as many taxes then. Mm-hmm. So I can remember Saying to my friend, I need to go. I need to go. But she was saying, I really want to get fixed up with this this, this bloke.
2: Right.
1: And I was like, I'm gonna to have to go. should you can't leave me on my own. So I stayed out till about, and I got home about ten past twelve. And I let myself in. The house was all dark. And from nowhere, I started to feel these massive. Um bolts, or what if I can call them, bolts from the blue all over my head.
0: Right, so physically like uh, yeah. blows. What
1: he'd done, he'd put two sets of keys in a sock and was put a, a knot in the sock and he was hitting me over the head with with the sock with the keys in um, telling me that I was just a dirty hooer. Who have I been fucking now? I want to see your knickers. Mm. So I can remember having to take my knickers off and showing them. You're not, you're, not, you're not doing it with me, so you must be doing it with someone else. And that night, I said, I hate you. I hate you so much. I'm sick of you doing this to me. I can't stand it anymore. I can't put it with it anymore. I'm absolutely sick of you. People started to notice the change in me at work. Um, I started to lose loads of weight. And I said, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll have to leave you. Please let me go. Um, I'm not gonna be going to anyone else's house. I just need to go. Mm-hmm. So he ran upstairs and he got a razor blade out of the bathroom. And he stood in front of me and he started to slit his wrists. And he, he slit one wrist and then the other. And the blood was pouring down his arm and dripping off his elbows and he was like you can't leave me if you leave me i'll kill myself and i was like oh god oh god 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 so i i like got something a pillowcase or something and helped like wrap his (laughs) his wounds up and i was like oh what did you do that for oh come on because you said you were gonna leave me if you this is what happened if you leave me If you leave me, I'll kill myself. And if I kill myself, it's your fault. So every time he was really nasty to me and really horrible, um, I threatened to leave again and he's done the same thing. And if when I'm dead, it'll be your fault. And Mm how are you going to live with your conscience? Are you going to tell my Mom, that it was you that killed me? You've killed me, really. yeah, so one time after that, we went to Seascale because we had these friends there, and were, it was New Year's Eve. I think this was about three years into our relationship. Okay,
0: so you're still really young?
1: Still, yeah. Like 20, and, Um, I was 20.
0: Right. And he...
1: They were gay, his mates were gay, mm-hmm. and he hated me being in their company because he thought they would turn for the night to- so that I could fuck them. Oh, wow. Every man I spoke to, um, he accused me of fucking them. And it got worse and worse, the accusations... And through all this time, he used to try and, you know, please, it's the only way I feel close to you. Please let me in bed with you. And I used to be like, I can't, I can't. It's too sore.
0: Hey, everyone, I hope you're doing okay. This is hard listening. Maybe one of the hardest we've done so far on the pod, actually. You maybe heard in my voice a few times in the show so far that I was struggling to hear some of what Ruth was describing. And this is my work. You know, I've been doing this for 10 years now and it never gets easier to hear of somebody's pain, but it is such an honor to be able to witness that in another and, and help them feel seen and heard. However, I hope that if you need to feel seen and heard, as a consequence of anything that you might have become aware of from listening to this podcast or anything else that's going on in your life then you'll be able to reach out so that you can have that support because it really does make all the difference and Ruth is going to go on to describe how using family friends and a community was a big part of her getting to where she is now and so in respect of any of the issues covered in this particular show, we'll be placing um, links to organizations that can provide support with domestic abuse, endometriosis, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, and a couple of other things. So you can use those to reach out for ways in which you can support, have support. And of course, you can always reach out to me and I'll be able to either work with you Directly, and certainly be able to point you in the direction of places that you can go to get some support. So, if you feel you need that, then obviously refer to the show notes and you can contact me on martinblacklove at gmail.com. We're going to go back to Ruth now to talk a bit more about the reproductive system disorders that she experienced, what she did about them, and how she finally moved herself out of this darkness to where she is now, which is well and truly lit. (laughs) Back to the show.
1: So through all, in the middle of all this, um, I I, I was going to the doctors again and again saying, look, it's really so, my boyfriend's giving me a really hard time here Mm -hmm. because I can't. I can't have sex with him because it's that painful. Yeah. There must be something wrong. So the doctor reluctantly sent me for something called a laparoscopy,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which is where they um, put an incision just by your belly button and then one down on your abdomen. And they blow you up with all this gas. They put a camera in. and And when I came to, the nurse sat on my bed and she said, um, we've got an apology to make to you. Um, we know that you've if, from your notes, you've been going to the doctors for a year now and we've this is the first time. It's ever we've ever noticed that you've got something called endometriosis. Right. And so she was explaining what this was. Um, it's part of your part of a woman's womb, which is the endometrium which is the afterbirth, um, so it's, it's, it's like the lining of the womb. Okay. Every time I was having a period, the lining of the womb was breaking off and going into um, my cervix, my fallopian um, tubes, um, and all like different places of my body. And that's why sex was so painful. And I can remember him coming to see me in hospital. He had a motorbike at the time. um, And he had long hair and a leather jacket, a leather boots, And all the nurses were so smitten with him. Um, One of them come walking up,
2: your boyfriend's
1: here. Your boyfriend's here to come and see you. Your lovely boyfriend. And I can remember like waking up and sat on the side of the bed with me. Um, and he held my hand and he said, I'm so sorry for putting you through what I've been putting you through when you've been living with this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the nurses were coming in and out and he was talking a bit louder and holding my hand and the nurses were all cooing over him. and and then he went and I to I could recover and the nurses said, "All oh, the nurses fancy your boyfriend. Isn't he lovely? Now <laughs> yeah, it's lovely. treats me like a princess. Wow. Um, at the time, before 1990, it wasn't seen as a crime to inflict um, emotional and physical and sexual violence. To your girlfriend, I was classed as um, common law wife.
0: Okay.
1: So it wasn't seen as a crime to inflict pain onto um,
0: your female partner. Your
1: female partner or your male partner. Oh, yeah. All right. Okay. It wasn't seen as a crime. Um, in all of this, um, the friends that we did have used to say isn't. Hey, lovely what a lovely boyfriend mm. fancy him buying me those earrings they must have easily cost a hundred pound
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you've oh what a lovely house you've got look at your cd collection look at your lovely stereo oh look at that lovely car and the bike but unbeknown to me every single thing that we had was on tick.
0: all right as in credit
1: as in credit. Right,
0: so not paid for.
1: He'd got loans out for everything. But he earned a lot of money. He it earned, it earned loads of money. I think he earned about £500 a week then. Then. Um, but everything we had was on credit. Right. Um.
0: In whose name?
1: Both of our names.
0: Right. <laughs> because he was in charge of the finances as well. So.
1: Because he was in charge of the finances. I wasn't interested. In the finances uh-huh. I got my £20 a week Um, He paid for the shopping and the bills And we were getting loads of things We had a, a new car here A new car there A, a motorbike here um, Another motorbike there mm-hmm. Brand new stereo Top of the range Furnishings in the house All um, these
0: things that his mum thought were important
1: All these things that his mum thought were important
0: <laughs> And therefore he did too His mum also thought All women were dirty hooers, as you say. It's like, he's living this life. And what goes on behind closed doors, he didn't get food. You, well, you didn't get love, but you thought you did.
1: Yeah, because I was quite addicted. Addicted to the ups and downs okay. of our relationship. And I started to see that when he was really nasty, I would get something new.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: So it was almost like, what's he gonna get me now? And I used to like pretend I was interested in the things he was saying to me. Um he had drummed it into me every day that I was ugly so I started to believe that and I, I used to if I seen if we were walking in the street and some lad was walking towards me that I knew I would put my head down
0: So you got really good at trying to do everything you could to not have him think anything yeah. about you in that way
1: because if I did say ayaah back, to anybody. I uh, just got the Spanish Inquisition. Mm. Who's that?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Where do you know him? Where do you know her from? Mm. Um, who's he? Have you fucked him? And I just, just, <sighs> no. What are you being like that for? What are you being like that for? Why are you being sullen? You're like, a, you're like a spoiled brat. You're like a teenager. Look at you huffing. So I just got to, just felt like I had to just... Placid
0: is that a word? Uh, placate.
1: Pl- yeah. Mm. What what what's that word?
0: Placate or plicate. Yeah, placate. we're both questioning it now. <laughs> I just
1: I just got so used to agreeing with him and being this lovely little girlfriend. <clears throat> he wanted me to be his well, work. This was a
0: feature from early on, before he first yes. even hit you. You know, do what I need you to do so that I feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. And. Before long, it seems you were, well, a, a, a shell of yourself.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So it was all just big swings and roundabouts of emotions, of highs and lows, of loads of things. And I can remember just going, oh, well, I'm leaving. And I just got a bit cocky. Mm-hmm. I'm leaving. And I would get me things together and he'd be standing at the door. No, you're not. You're going fucking nowhere. So then I started to be like, well, it's, there's no point in arguing with him. He's going to win all the time. This mm-hmm. guy, they're going to pretend to slit his wrists. And I can remember being really cocky one day when I was trying to leave. My, well, go and get your fucking razor blades. I'm going to slit, slit your wrists. Mm-hmm. And when you're dead, I'll tell your mama how you died. Fuck off out my way. I can't be bothered. Fuck you. And then it would be, Boof A punch in the head. Yeah. So there was always the blame, like that was your fault. That was your fault.
0: I'd done that. Wound well, me up.
1: Yeah, you shouldn't wind me up. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't. You shouldn't do that to me. Um. And so, in the in the midst of all this, I was put on um treatment for the endometriosis, uh-huh. and it involved. Um, a really strong hormone tablet that would stop my periods for nine months at a time because right. they discovered that pregnant women didn't have endometriosis. Um, so this um, hormone tablet mimicked pregnancy uh, okay. in your body.
2: Yeah.
1: So the endometriosis stopped growing. So then it started to be less painful to do certain things. I see. And in the, in this time, the doctor had seen me and he'd said, the endometriosis is really advanced and we're going to give you a course of these tablets. You can only have them a couple of times because they're so strong. Mm-hmm. Um, but you really, really need a hysterectomy. Because it's that bad, it's going to ruin your life. Mm-hmm. And because I was so young and I really wanted children, I kept refusing to have a hysterectomy. Um, and on one particular really bad time of him hitting me and mm-hmm. being really nasty, um, he would say, you yeah, can't be a proper woman. You can't even have children. So it was always him being so sickeningly nice to me and being so beautiful and wonderful to just crushing me back down again. Yeah. To feel worthless and useless. And and, he, and through all this time, I was a clean freak as well. Mm. Everything had to be dead clean. I couldn't clean it properly. So I just used to think, well, I'm not going to do it. But then I would get colder. Not only was I... Uh, a, a dirty hoover. Oh. I was a dirty, fucking scuffy hoover. Yeah. So um. Then. In about three years into our relationship, he met this guy, and this guy smoked pot. Him and his girlfriend.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So he was like, "Oh, I think I smoke pot." So he started smoking pot with them. He'd never smoked a cigarette in his life. Right. And he was like dead nice. He was dead nice when he was stoned. Right. Um. Dead nice in front of them. They couldn't believe that our age. And we had all this stuff. I mean mm-hmm. your your boyfriend's so nice. And and the boyfriend would say to him, Your little girlfriend's beautiful, isn't she? She's so pretty. And and look at this this everything you've got. But then when he would come down, he would be like, did you fuck him behind my back while I wasn't looking? Oh, God, I can't do anything right. No. So he was always so beautifully nice and lovely. So I used to think no one's going to believe me, even if I did tell.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, yeah, so, and then this guy uh, was taking acid. And it was just before um, ecstasy. Had, came you know, mm-hmm. been a thing.
2: Yeah.
1: So he started taking acid, and he absolutely loved it. And he was beautiful when he was high. Okay. He was like the boyfriend that he used to be. Yeah. So I used to love it when he used to get high, cause he treated me lovely, but then the come down would come, and then he. When he was coming down, he would think a lot of bad things.
0: Okay, yeah, so all of the the paranoia around. The paranoia. Well, with the come down, and we obviously know what he was paranoid about at this point, so. Yeah,
1: and in the midst of all this, I didn't realise how much debt we were in, Mm -hmm. and we decided to move again to another flat in the central Whitehaven. heaven.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it was during this time that unbeknown to me, he was he had a lot of warnings at work. Right. Because he was going into work um not himself. Okay. And being um coming down off stuff. Yeah. And not being like it used to be.
0: Yeah, like the drugs will have an effect on his Day to day work, yeah. yeah. The drugs
1: were having an effect on Mm -hmm. his work skills and stuff. So, uh, we were only in the new flat a few weeks, and he told me we. No, I don't think he even did tell me. Um, But I I found out that we were in twenty four thousand pounds worth of debt. Okay because we bought it buy a new car,
2: uh-huh.
1: sell it, keep the money in the bank, instead of paying the loan off, oh, okay. get another loan. Okay. And because he worked at this plant, this place, it, it was, there was no question about lending money, about getting it back, so everything just mounted up and mounted up and mounted up. And we ended up having to move into a little um, rented house. And Clayton Moore. and um, I can remember he didn't go to work. Um, he ended up getting sacked.
2: Right.
1: So I started working thirteen-hour days to cover the rent and stuff, and getting in from work, and. There'd be about about five people all stoned, off the tits, mm-hmm. on whatever they were taking. Um, I would get up, I would get up in the morning for work, and there were there were people all around the around the house, all stoned or high. So going to work was a really good escape.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like this was maybe the beginning of the end of the relationship.
1: Yeah, when he lost, when he finally lost his job, yeah, we went to live with my mum and dad. I can remember going and saying to my mum, "Can we move in with you?" Um, my boyfriend's lost his job, and she went absolutely nowhere, absolutely nowhere. You can move back, but he's not moving in here. Okay. Um. um no. He can't move in. So I said, oh, mom, please, please let him move in. Because in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, oh, I'm just going to get another dig if she doesn't say yes.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But my mom knew there was something wrong all the time. Yeah. Um. So I started crying and I said, please, please, can you move in with us? And um, she says, oh, all right, then. All right, then. So um we uh, we packed up all our stuff and we moved in with my mum and dad. We had loads of stuff and it was all just, ended up just being given away and um, the finance company took some stuff back, um, one of his bikes, a car, just loads of stuff, um, sold loads of things um. So, yeah, and then I wasn't frightened of him anymore because we'd moved in with my mum and dad. Uh And um, I can remember thinking, I'm not scared of you now. Well, I was. I was still a little bit scared of him, but I thought it's not just us anymore. There's, there's loads of us here, mm-hmm. so I'm not I'm not as, I'm not frightened of you now. And I can remember it was coming up to my twenty first. Um, I was still working in the same place, still doing the same things with all of this, um, stuff going on in my head. Um, like what it was really like, mm-hmm. and I got to look at him and think, I can't fucking stand you. I can't, I don't even like the air you breathe. Uh-huh. I hate everything about you. What a twat you are. I can't, I really, really can't stand you. You're nothing. I didn't say this to him at the time. I felt it. But I felt it yeah. and I could feel this courage okay. coming. So, him getting sacked was my turning point. Um, and he had nothing. He didn't have any money. He didn't, his mum didn't want him to go back there. Um, So we started to just court and I was, he was coming to my mum's house.
0: Oh, like dating again. Dating of.
1: again. Right. Um, And he was staying a few nights and then he would stay a few nights at his mum's. So he didn't entirely move in with us.
2: Okay.
1: And I can remember going to his house one day. And his mum didn't know I was there. And I, we were sitting in his bedroom. He was reading a book. And, and I think I was reading a book or something. And his mum didn't know I was there. And she charged up the stairs. And she was shouting, You are a useless fucking bastard. You are a nothing. You are a useless fucking bastard. You had a good job. What a bastard you are. And she charged in his room and she was saying, you are useless, useless. You're nothing but a fucking useless bastard. And then she didn't know I was there. And I stood up and I went, why don't you just kick him when he's down? Mm -hmm. Because I I was like kind of sticking up for him. I'd never heard anyone speaking to anybody like that, apart from getting spoke to like that.
0: By him, yeah, 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 by
1: him, and then I started to think, Oh, god, that's why you're like you, that's why you're like the way, the, you, are. The, the way yeah. you are, yeah, the
0: way you are.
1: Um, so anyway, it became a, was coming up to my 21st birthday, and I had a little party in the house, mm-hmm. um, made a few sandwiches and stuff, and there was a few of us in the kitchen, and we had the radio on. And it was, I think it was the 24th of November, 1991. And we came on the radio that Freddie Mercury died. Mm-hmm. And we were all like, I can't believe Freddie Mercury's died. Oh, and he was upstairs. My boyfriend was upstairs yeah. in my bedroom. And I went up and told him. And he was just like, oh, yeah, yeah, so what? Well. Because by this time, he was taken loads of drugs, he was, tech- he was smoking loads of pot, mm-hmm. Um, just getting off his head all the time, um, and then not long after after that, I was thinking, you know what, life's too short, Freddie Mercury's died, I think he was only in like 45 or something, mm-hmm. Freddie Mercury's died, he was absolutely wonderful. Life's too short. Life's too fucking short. To be with someone like you. And every day that passed, I looked at him and thought about him and thought, you are a banker. You're an asshole. I can't stand you anymore. Really, really can't stand you. I can't stand even looking at you. Um, So I was going out with my friends one night. And... In between all this time, he, he put loads of weight on and then he lost a lot of weight. He put loads of weight on, lost a lot of weight because he used to comfort eat. Uh-huh. And he had great big stretch marks on his belly. They were really deep, uh-huh. like um, like as if he'd been attacked by an animal. Yeah. And he was really, really embarrassed about them and they were dead itchy. So this night I was, I just had to get that bit in. But this night um, I was going out. I was all dressed up. Um, really looking forward to going out. Mm-hmm. And he said, is there someone down there you're going to fuck? And I was like, oh, God, here we go again. And I turned around and I went, yeah. And I can't fucking wait. And they're all going to queue up. <laughs> I had no intention of doing anything like that. But he was saying, you can't say that. And I was going, I can I can And you can't touch me anymore. You can't hit me. You can't call me all them names. You can't do anything to me anymore. Ever. Because you're nothing. You're a life. Shit. And I hate you. I hate you. And then he started crying. And I was like, victory? Because something had clicked in my head. Something had happened. It was the death. Oh, I mean, I really need to thank Freddie Mercury. Thank you, Freddie Mercury, for giving me that. Um inspiring
0: you know what it sounds like people who are listening uh, before Ruth and I sat down to do this I um, was treated to about half an hour of Ruth's core uh, strength vinyasa practice and Ruth you talked to me about this spark inside of you in your solar plexus in your power centre and it's almost like that light never did go out But the whole kind of well, hour and twenty minutes that we've been talking, you haven't been the Ruth that I know. And it's almost like, you know, he did everything he could to put that light out in you, that spark. And what happened with Freddie Mercury, it somehow helped you see that it hadn't gone out fully. Absolutely. And then it started to get fed and fed. And it grew. And it grew it seemed to grow quite quickly from what you're saying.
1: And it was engulfing me.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, So I was just, it got this strength from nowhere. My mum and dad were downstairs, and I thought, it's not going to hit me. It's not going to hit me while they're downstairs. It is not going to hit me.
0: Okay, so a bit of backup.
1: So they were a backup. Mm-hmm. Um, he started crying. He curled himself up into a ball, saying, you can't talk to me like that. And I knelt down, and I whispered into his ear, into his ear how are your stretch marks? And nice and itchy. Because didn't you used to be dead fat? And then, now you're dead thin. And aren't you a fucking loser? Aren't you? And aren't you ugly? And I I just kept on, like, rhyming off lots of things that he'd said to me over the past. And I left him there on the floor, crying his eyes out. And I went out with my friends, come back. I didn't see him for a couple of weeks. I was absolutely delighted, and then he started like hanging around. I'd k- kind of hinted at my mum that he was a bit violent, mm-hmm. and it came one day, and my mum said, um, "My daughter's frightened of you, and I don't want any. I don't want my daughter to be, to be frightened of anybody." And I've said it before, and I'll say it again, I don't care how big you are. I really don't care who you are. If you've hurt my daughter, I will kill you. Mm -hmm. Um, and from, from that moment on, I was, like, coming up to 22 then. Mm -hmm. Um... I still well, I was twenty one, coming up to twenty two, and thought so that that's it. I've had enough. I'm not that person anymore. I'm mm-hmm. not that weak, ugly person.
0: A uh, dirty little whore, I think that you dirty were little, told that you yeah. were, and nobody would want you. You I'm were nothing.
1: Not, yeah, I'm not that. I'm not. I'm not
2: those.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Any of those. So then. When the next time I seen him, he said, but I love you. I love you. I've always loved you. I'm, I know what I've done to you. And I'm so sorry. I'm so, so sorry. I never told anyone what he was doing to me because, mm-hmm. you know, I was ashamed. Um. And people would come up to me in the street, our, our, our friends, and they would say, oh, he's missing you loads. Mm-hmm. Would you not consider going back with him? And I used to be like, mm-mm, nowhere." But he absolutely loves you. He idolises you. He sat in my room last night crying his eyes out um, because he wants, he wants you back. And so I said to a couple of people, well, no, he can fuck off because I'm sick of being used as a verbal and physical punch bag. Mm-hmm. And I just left it at that. So word started to get round that he'd battered okay. Ruth. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... After about six months, he finally let me go, finally let me um, stop pestering me. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And then about a year later, I met this lovely, lovely man um, who was my son's dad.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: He was kind. He was calm, he was patient, he was t- the exact opposite mm-hmm. to, to the, m- my first boyfriend. And we got married, we, ha- we, we started to have a nice life,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but then I started to get really, really black moods. Really dark moods. Mm-hmm. I was on all kinds of drugs for the endometriosis oh, yes. yeah. to keep it under control. Was assured by the doctors I'd never have children. So that put me on a really down, down slope. Yeah. Um, and then we didn't, we just started to not get on. Anymore,
0: you and your new boyfriend.
1: My we new, yeah. well, we we did get on, and then we we got <coughs> married, mm-hmm. and then there was loads of cracks in the marriage.
2: Yeah,
1: um. And then, by a miracle, found out I was pregnant. Okay, um, and I had my little boy. And when, when he was about a month old I was diagnosed with something called postpartum psychosis right which is postnatal depression Uh and psychosis I would say the devil um, the devil in the house and now when I look back I'm thinking did I see my first boyfriend because Mm. I hadn't told anyone I hadn't dealt with it So was the devil coming back as him in my memories, in my thoughts? Because I hadn't dealt with anything.
0: Yeah, like he represented that darkness and unprocessed pain inside of you, even though you'd escaped, it was still with you. Yeah. He was still with you. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Even now, even now to this day, I do still have bad, dark moods. Mm -hmm. But like you were saying about the core strength vignetta, I go like... And I scream it out, and I feel a, a lot load, better again. Mm-hmm. Um, when my son was one and a half, me and my husband split up, and it was. Uh, no, before, before we split up, and I was diagnosed with postnatal depression, postpartum psychosis. Uh-huh. Um, my friend Tracy Connor. I was an absolute angel she knew i wasn't right so she took me to the gym she took me there screaming and kicking and we got to the gym at the sports center and there was a um aerobics class on and the woman that was teaching the class was like absolutely fantastic i felt like um Awful. My hair was lank. Uh, I was breastfeeding my son. I was a shadow of myself, Mm -hmm. and I was going back to them really black moods, thinking and processing, trying to process everything that had happened when Mm -hmm. I was only young.
2: Yeah.
1: With my first boyfriend. Um, So she dragged me to the sports center. And we went to this um, aerobics class, and it was absolutely amazing. the The music was dead loud, dead modern, like rave music, mm-hmm. and everybody was going one way, and I was going the other way. <laughs> um, and then when I got home, I couldn't wait to go back, so I went back a couple of days later with Tracy. And then I started to get in the swing of it. I started to know my grapevines from my box steps. Mm. And after about six months, the depression started to lift. And I decided that <clears throat> then that I wanted to be an aerobics teacher. Okay. So I looked into it and... Fast-forwarding, I became an aerobics teacher all around West Cumbria, right. um, teaching loads and loads of people every week and making people feel better about themselves because I felt a lot better in myself.
0: So you knew how it could change from, I mean, real darkness. You know, we're talking like psychosis, real difficult, difficult emotional states and mental states and that, well, that friend taking you to the class and it just, it helped you in so many ways. You wanted to give that to other people.
1: Yes, yeah.
0: You were living proof it works.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: And then I became a single parent through this time and I was going around. All the community, loads of community cent- community centres, teaching my aerobics. Um, and I'd be, I had to take a full time job, so I've just done it part time. And then during this time, um, I still had my endometriosis really bad. It grew back loads after having my son. So I was under the doctor again and they kept on telling me, you need a hysterectomy. Mm -hmm. But I knew that I would be off work for about four months and I knew I couldn't afford to be off work. So I kept on putting it off and putting it off.
0: So you were putting it off and putting it off all of this time.
1: Yeah. So the doctors kept on telling me that, you know, this endometriosis isn't going to go away now. You've got a few options. You can start to have these injections into your belly, which are going to um, put you into a chemical menopause, and these will stop your ovaries from working. And this will um, halt your endometriosis. But you're getting on a bit now, Ruth. So, do you really want any more children? Do you think you're going to have any more children? I think they were trying to tell me, look, you really, really need a hysterectomy because mm-hmm. it's not going to get any better. So I kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off because I couldn't really afford to be off work Yeah. because of, uh, I knew I was going to be off work for a long time. Um, so there's loads and loads and loads of things happened Um, up until... My son was fifteen. Um, I raised him as a single parent. He's saying his dad loved. His dad was fantastic with him. And it was during this time that I noticed some really difficult um, black episodes. In my life, where I would um, be suddenly in a place and being in such a rage, all of a sudden, and I was, sometimes I would black out and then come round. I think where what what the, what the fuck was that? Mm-hmm. And I started to link it to my periods. So it was all to do with the endometriosis, my periods, my reproductive um, organs. Okay. So I started to take a, keep a track of, me, of my periods in between having the chemical menopause because you're only allowed it for so long. Because if you have it for too long, the um, chemical menopause, the injections, you start to get arthritis. It affects your bones okay. uh, and, and your joints. So when I came off everything, I started to track my periods. And it was during this time that I thought, this this isn't right. This isn't right. I'm getting such black, black moods. And I kept returning to when I was between 17 and 21 and having this... Um, domestic violence yeah, and the feelings that I felt were like the feelings of feeling totally helpless and guilty all the feelings that my boyfriend made me feel Mm -hmm. so by this time um, I'd married again and my husband um, came to the doctors with me and she looked at me diary and i'd been keeping a track of my periods and she was looking through it and she was saying that you're only getting about four three or four days a month where you're feeling okay according to your diary um and she held my hand and she said it's it's not what you think it is it's not pmt it's something called PMDD." And she said, this means um, premenstrual dysphoric disorder. And she said, and it's leading up to your periods, the premenstrual. She said, the dysphoric part is where you're getting these blackouts oh, yeah. and where you're not recognizing yourself because it's all like um, like a dysphoria. You don't understand and you don't recognize the person looking back at you in the mirror. Mm-hmm which I'd already said to her. And my hus- she said to my husband, how do you feel? How, how do you feel? And he just broke down crying. He said, I don't know what I'm going to come home to. I don't know whether I'm going to come home and she's missing. I don't know whether I'm going to come home and she's took her own life. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm coming home to.
0: It's like a psychological disorder that's linked to your, to your menstrual cycle.
1: Yes. Okay. Um. It's like PMT on steroids. Okay. So it's really, right up there in the. Um.
0: Like intensity of. It, intensity,
1: yeah. of um, PMT. So, um, I was under this doctor. I'd never heard of PMDD before. I was under her. And she said, I think it's about time now that you had your hysterectomy. Because what's causing your PMDD and your endometriosis? are your ovaries Mm -hmm. you've had it all of your adult life do you really need your womb and your ovaries now but then I started to go into a more black place because I didn't want to lose my womanhood Mm -hmm. I thought well that I don't want to give it up Mm -hmm. but at the same time it was causing severe abdominal cramps Severe abdominal pains. Mm -hmm. Um, I sometimes used to look like I was eight months pregnant. And the really black moods that I had. Were overriding my whole life. Mm -hmm. I was still. um, Continuing with my fitness. uh, Teaching me aerobics. I didn't do it as much. And. So one day. After a really bad um, period and really bad um, PMDD episode, I was under the gynaecologist as well, and the gynaecologist was trying to persuade me Mm -hmm. to have this hysterectomy. And then one day I just said, yeah, I need it done. Um, It was coming between me and my husband, me and my son, me and my friends. I would avoid everybody because I didn't know when I was going to have a blackout. Um, not a blackout as in fainting, but a blackout as in getting into a really, really, really awful rage. And then thinking, what the f- whoa, What the fuck was all that over? And not not remembering why I was in this rage.
0: That's reminded me of how you described your boyfriend when he lost his shit and then afterwards would come round
1: wow what happened
0: yeah almost like he lost himself in the the darkness of his rage and then something i'd suppose maybe like he was able to discharge the energy associated with that rage and then he kind of found himself you know that really because he was vulnerable at the bottom of all of that wasn't he frightened little boy and it's almost like underneath all of your rage was you just wanted to be free of this pain
1: yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. You've really summed that up, Martin. Like wow. his
0: his darkness, he transferred it to you when it showed mm-hmm. up as this PMDD. Yeah. Some kind of.
1: Yeah. Ooh, something to something to sink my teeth into, isn't it? Something to think about
0: after after the podcast. Yeah. Um. Well, and I'll be here for you if you need know, to you talk will. about that as I well. I know you will,
1: thank you. Um,
0: so you had the hysterectomy?
1: So, yeah, I went ahead and had the hysterectomy. It was cancelled four times, and then on the, the fifth time, the doctor rang me and said, can you come in in three days' time, have your hysterectomy? And I could have... If I wasn't already married, I could have married him. <laughs> um, there were It was like sweet words to my ears. I'd... Um, postponed it and put it off for years and years and years, and now I was ready to to start living my life again.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, almost like a 30 year cycle of wanting to live my life again.
0: Get your life back.
1: Getting my life back.
0: Once again.
1: Once again, yeah. So, yeah, I had the hysterectomy, and through all of this time, through being with my violent ex-boyfriend and doing the um, aerobics I always practiced yoga, always practiced gentle yoga, mm-hmm. always practiced gentle meditation and whilst I was recovering from a hysterectomy I decided to do a diploma in yoga okay. and I done my diploma in yoga and I wasn't really happy with the style of yoga I was teaching. Mm-hmm. So then I discovered a lady called Anya Hawks, and she teaches core strength vinyasa. She taught me the core strength vinyasa and yoga shred, mm-hmm. which is extremely, extremely empowering. You light up from the inside out. Um, all my yoga clothes have got still lit on them, which is the core strength vinyasa um logo and now I teach in a in a studio in Whitehaven. I have my friend Julie, her studio. Um I teach four classes a week. Um and yeah, I have regular students I can really resonate with people. I can kind of recognise when somebody's not feeling so good, when somebody needs to feel a bit happier. I started to put on my Facebook page about being in a violent relationship when I was only young. Mm -hmm. First, thinking, "Oh, uh, what the fuck am I doing here? No one's gonna want to know." And the amount of messages I got, the amount of people coming up to me in the street, saying, "I'm really sorry. I didn't know you were going through all that. You kept it so well hidden. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you've, you've come to this part of yourself. I don't know how you've got to be who you are. Um, how have you done it? You're so inspirational." Mm-hmm. Um, and I did have a couple of messages saying, "Just leave the past in the past. What's what's happened happened. Um, you know, you don't need to keep re- repeating it. If you don't, if you keep, some people said, if you keep repeating, it, it's never gonna go away. But I've currently, I think, I've helped twelve people who have been living with violent boyfriends one lady's niece um, had a violent boyfriend and she showed her my um, Facebook page my my Facebook post and said look this is um, my yoga teacher and she went through this and she's still affected now get away from him you're know. worth so much better than that. Um, and I used to teach yoga at a place called Wow, which is Women Out West. Yes, and that's a place for women to go to, and um, when they are ex- when they're experiencing um, things like domestic violence, and they ha- they offer counselling services. So I'm still in touch with um, a few people that I taught yoga to. Mm -hmm. Um, So I feel that my journey has brought me to this place I am now. When I look back, would I change it? No. I wouldn't change being that frightened 17-year-old girl who was getting verbally and physically abused by her boyfriend because I wouldn't be the person I am today I've ne- from the ages of 22 to now I've never let anybody treat me like shit I've ne- never let anybody look down on me I have been totally empowered and never let anybody do that to me again, mm-hmm. ever. And I think and feel that I'm living proof that you can get away from that abusive person. Those abusive words will will turn into abusive punches. And if you let him get away with it once, you'll let him get away with it again and again and again yeah
0: you know and the bruises do heal the bruises did heal I do have um, a cracked tooth
1: Um, my nose was broken in one of the attacks Um, a couple of my fingers were broken um, always going to the hospital with excuses. I fell and been so... Um, I convinced myself that how I fell into a radiator when I hadn't, I'd been punched. I convinced myself with, with lying to the doctors that's how it happened. I almost believed that's how it happened
0: and you know when i say about the bruises healing i mean on a very superficial level in your mm-hmm. physical body but every time you dishonor your truth when you tell those lies when you believe that somebody else's emotional state is your responsibility and not theirs when you shut off from friends from family from from your community when you stop caring about yourself those wounds deeper down they take so much longer to heal and you know your body took on that unprocessed trauma in time you know in your reproductive system that darkness found its way even though your life was okay on the surface and you were you know you, you had a sense of fulfillment and you you freed yourself from that your body was still holding on to what you went through and yeah. you know this is a three, four period, four year period earlier on in your life as an adult, and it has continued to shape you for the the next thirty years, and continues to now, you know. And you you are incredibly brave, not just for getting to this point today and everything that you've done, and and how you haven't turned to that darkness and replicated it. You've created light out of it, indeed, you know, lit. Um, but to talk about this today. And still feel the physical repercussions of that trauma that you went through, through that burning in your chest, through, you know, those sensations that you were describing earlier on. And, you know, I know for you, it is a daily practice of getting up early each morning and doing your meditation, of doing your breath work, of doing your core strength vinyasa, screaming that fucking pain out of you. I've witnessed you on my retreats (laughs) scream that stuff out of you, you know, and yes, it stays with you for a long time, but it doesn't mean that you can't do something about it, you know.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I feel like I've turned this around from being so helpless as as a young woman to now being nearly 52 and but it's sometimes still affecting me but i don't let it linger i don't let it linger on me mm-hmm. I, c- I can feel when that darkness is coming and i can i know the things that i need to do i know that i need to get out of the the situation that i'm in get myself outside go for a really vigorous walk mm-hmm. um get into my little studio scream it out with my yoga shred Um shake my whole body um, get all that feeling out um, yeah and like ruffle me all my hair up and, and like mm-hmm. and really screaming from my from my core mm-hmm. because this is who I am now I wouldn't change the past for all the tea in China because
0: I I I wouldn't be this happy. You wouldn't be sat here showing no. me who you are today if you'd not been through that. And that is a warrior's choice to make that decision to say I'm going to use what's happened to me to be the best of who I can be, you know. Yeah. And that 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 is why I know people that go to your classes are absolutely inspired by you just being you and and when I met you One of the things that I really loved about you, and that actually it continues to inspire me to this day, is just be who you are, Martin. Because look at Ruth doing that. Look at her doing that. Look at how she shines because she's just herself, you know. And I know on the retreat that was a lot of the feedback that we got, and that shines through anyway with the feedback that you got about yourself. Sorry, in in our discussions, Um, and that's without knowing your story. And then when you know the story and you see what it took and what inspired you all that darkness that helped you find your light and shine it so brightly it you know your story is something to be proud of yeah it made you who you are and what yeah. a great way to stop that darkness that your ex-boyfriend's mom and whatever else was going on in her life she passed on to him which he then passed on to you but it didn't stop. It yeah. didn't, mm-hmm. sorry, it didn't, it didn't continue. You stopped it.
1: Yeah. Put a full stop under it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would, like I said, I wouldn't change the past. I. I'll, some days I could just, I could lie in bed all day and pull the covers over my head, but I choose not to. I choose to get up, choose to get the fuck up get the fuck up out of bed get into my yoga clothes get down into my retreat that I've got at home mm-hmm. and put my music with my headphones on I don't want to wake the neighbors up at 10 to 4 in the morning <laughs> um and, and 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 yeah and and scream it out and then once I've once I've done all that I know that I've I've, I've reset myself and that sets me up for the day sometimes sets me up for the week mm-hmm. and yeah, I, I love teaching the core strength vinyasa, I love being this person I am now, from that little girl who I can see that, that, that little girl that used to be me, mm-hmm. she's still in there, and she, yeah she still hurts, yeah she still mourns for that four years of her life mm-hmm. But i I love her she's she's not ugly Mm-mm. she's not she's not worthless she's not a dirty little who she's a, a little girl inside me that'll always be there and and I'm so proud of that little girl inside me for the woman that she's become
0: well I'm proud of you too Thank you <laughs> Okay, Ruth, well, thank you so much for your time today for this few hours I've spent with you. I'm really thank excited. You. Oh, my pleasure, my pleasure. It's a gift to spend any time with you, whatever form it takes, and particularly today. You know, I know it was a big thing you coming and sharing this today, and you've put a lot into it, and it and it shows, so thank you.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit exhausted now oh, that I've got it. You've got to drive
0: home now. It's okay. <laughs>
1: I, it's
0: okay um, <clears throat> well listen we're um, going to put links to uh, some domestic abuse support including uh, women wow, yeah, women out west I'll also find some stuff around endometriosis and PMDD as well for people to go to to get some support with that and I will share details of your social media and any websites associated with the yoga that you teach. So West Coast Yoga as well. And I highly recommend that you go and attend one of Ruth's classes and you can scream whatever darkness you need to get the fuck out of you. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah. Ruth. Well, thank you so much and, um, and I will see you soon. Thank
1: you, Martin. You're it's- welcome you're awesome thank, thank you for, for letting me do it
0: my pleasure so there you have it the wonderful roof what a life huh and what a way to indeed turn all of that darkness into light and the fact that she wouldn't change a thing <laughs> it's just just amazing I think it's really important to mention about how at various points during that show it was possible to understand some of why Ruth's abusive ex-partner might have behaved in the ways that he did I have shared a link in the show notes to a book on intergenerational trauma as I think it was quite clear where a lot of his suffering might have originated, or where it could be traced back to. And it leads me on to the difficult subject of recognising the need to work with perpetrators of domestic abuse and realise that, indeed, hurt people hurt people. This is a huge part of my work, and I can tell you that usually people who do have a need to hurt others are usually coming from a place of extreme vulnerability and that their only means of protecting themselves is through such convoluted defences against that vulnerability and it's particularly prevalent in men who don't get to express vulnerability in its true form. So this is a subject for so much more discussion and I hope to be able to discuss it with somebody on the podcast at some point. I also wanted to acknowledge that uh, I still haven't shared an episode with a man yet, but I'm recording two more shows over the next few days with two really inspiring men that I can't wait to share their stories with you, and I chose to share Ruth's episode today because of the domestic abuse awareness month almost coming to an end and it felt like a really important way to mark that and raise further awareness and so yes lots more to look forward to. Um, I have shared extensive um, links in the show notes for anybody that has been affected by anything that was discussed in today's show and as I mentioned in the break please do reach out if you need some signposting to where you can get some support i'd be more than happy to help with that and as i think ruth demonstrated so beautifully in this show the importance of getting strong staying open kind and grateful we can learn so much from her take care until next time bye